What's going on, everyone? It's your guy, Cole Jackson, back with another episode of the Ravens Roundtable here on Two Guys Watching Football. I am joined by two of my good friends. We got Cap Guru Dan Reese at DP Reese 8 on Twitter. Uh, Dan, my guy, how's it going? It's going, huh? It's a little, uh, little quiet to start free agency, but what a day today. What a day today, indeed. And we have James Ogden at NFL Ogden on Twitter, our friend from the UK, UK Ravens, Russell Street Report, and RedStarBaltimore.com, your go-to website for draft season. James, my man, how's it going? Late night over there for you. No, yeah, not bad, Cole. It's, um, it's not too late, actually, this time. You've, you you guys have gone on to Daylight Savings, and we haven't yet. So I didn't even think about that. There you go. A little go. earlier. There you go. Yeah, I was just telling Dan, uh, I got my, I was, uh, it's 7.15 here for me, so I was battling getting uh, my daughter to bed so that we could get uh, in here as early as humanly possible for you. Uh, but thank you guys so much for joining me, and uh, what a topic we have. I mean, Dan nailed it. It was a, it was a quiet day one. Uh, fan base was in shambles. Uh, you know, I thought the Molotov cocktails were going to come out, and then I don't think anyone saw this coming, and I think that's one of the one of the key things, I mean, reports happen and uh, whatnot, but no one saw this coming. Um, ironically, uh, Dan and I were on a, a, a spaces last night at like 1 a.m. my time. I couldn't sleep. So I'm on a spaces with Vass and uh, Mr. Yuri on Twitter. Uh, and we actually got talking about what could a Marcus Williams deal look like and talking about getting aggressive with the cap. And then it comes out. It's a five year, $70 million deal. Um, so we're going to get into it. We're going to go through. Uh, the cap situation, uh, what a contract could look like. We do not know the full details. We There were some reported details that we're going to look at with uh, Adam Schefter's tweet. And then uh, luckily enough, James has already kind of taken a look at the, the film a few weeks ago. I dove into two games today, so we'll get into a little bit of that. So we'll start here with Dan and we kind of put this together just to walk through easily. Um, so the uh, so five years, $70 million deal. Schefter tweeted this deal includes 37 million guaranteed, including 31 million in next year per source. Dan, what the heck's that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, Adam Schefter sometimes has trouble tweeting clearly. Um, uh, 31 million in next year is really vague, um, but there are a couple of ways you can interpret that. Um, my guess is that over the next calendar year, he's going to get $31 million. So um, I, we kind of structured it two different ways to, uh, to look at it. The first one is is kind of just straightforward if, if he gets the $31 million now. Uh, but the likely way that that would be split is that you would get your base salary of $1 million, which is the minimum base salary. And then the other 30 million dollars would be a signing bonus and that would be spread over the five years so that would be the prorated bonus of six million dollars a year plus the base salary for a cap number of seven million dollars so extremely low cap number for the first year um you know especially for a 14 million dollar apy uh in order to get the guarantees up to 37 million probably maybe a $6 million guarantee for year two, something like that. Uh, pretty pretty standard kind of to have the second year be the, the remaining guarantee part. Um, you know, it, it's it's really um, kind of, uh, uh, it's a great signing, whether, whether it's this structure or a different one. Uh, that we're, we'll talk about a little bit of the um, reasonings cap-wise in, in a minute, but um, this is definitely one option. Uh, when I kind of threw this out there, um brian mcfarland who's fantastic at, at um you know cap stuff for the ravens said uh, i don't know that all 30 is actually going to be a signing bonus uh humphrey only got 20 uh ronnie stanley got 22 and a half and the remaining piece was an option bonus at the beginning of the second year so it's close to a, a calendar year after is kind of rounding <laughs> to the nearest calendar year basically uh maybe 13 months and um, and saying that he's going to get so in this example we got a, a signing bonus of twenty million dollars, and then an option bonus of ten million dollars. You you can't um, and over the cap you can't input an option bonus. But basically what it is is it's kind of the same thing as a deferred signing bonus is for cap reasons. Uh, so what it would be is 
you've got the $20 million spread over all five years, and then you've got the $10 million spread over the next or the second through fifth year, the remaining four years. So uh, it actually would drop the cap down to, to $5 million on, in the first year, basically pushing more out into the future. Um, the option bonus would be guaranteed. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as you're on the roster, blah, 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 there, there's different ways to guarantee it and it would still kind of count as a guarantee. So uh, so this is definitely another op another way that it could be restructured. Both of these rely on the fact that the base salary would be $1 million, which is about the, the minimum. The Ravens could always pay him more than that as a base salary, which would then mean less in the signing bonuses. Uh, why they would do that, I don't really know. It, maybe he wants that it structured that way, but uh, really this would be kind of the way I, I would hope the Ravens would structure it in order to kind of spread the cap the most. Right, right. And for those of you just joining us, we have Dan Reese and James Ogden here to break down the Marcus uh, Williams signing. If you guys are enjoying this, hit the like button for me. Hit subscribe if you guys aren't already subscribed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is it's, – it's just funny because we were talking about this middle of the night last night, and then the deal comes out, and it's a five-year deal. And so that's kind of what was exciting because we've been talking about – I mean, there's been – not we, but everyone's been talking so much about being more aggressive with the cap, more aggressive with structuring. Um, and you kind of nailed it last night. Like adding this fifth year is one of the best ways to do that. And so to actually lay out the cap and what it can look like. And just again, for those of us, for those of you at home, just joining us, um, th this is prediction. So we have two structures here. Um, we don't know all of the details. We're working off a Adam Schefter tweet. Um, at least he didn't have to rescind this one. So that's great. Good on you, Adam. Uh, progress. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, we have to work off what the information is. Devil's always in the details, but we can kind of gleam a little bit and, and put some things together. And then, uh, you know, this is uh, we got the cornerback contracts here. So what do you want to take a look at here, Dan? Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of see where this contract kind of ranks amongst the other the other large cornerback contracts, you know, just to see how it stands. Uh, it's pretty amazing. This is actually the a fourteen million dollar APY actually ranks a tied eleventh, which is which is remarkable for kind of one of the top free agent cornerbacks to to get them uh, so far down in the ranks. Normally, like every year, it just is the top ones, you know, because of, of cap increases and things like that, but. Um, to, to have the APY be so low uh, for a very good cornerback, it, or oh, this is cornerbacks, I should have gotten safeties. No wonder. So no worries there because <laughs> I already have the information. So it, it actually ranks seventh in, seventh. in free safeties. Um, so say, same idea. That's all we wanted to show. Um, so it ranks seventh in free safety contracts, which I think is pretty crazy because we talked about this uh, the other night too because uh, – you know, when you're, when you're a top five guy at your position and you hit the market, you usually reset the market. Even if, right. you know, if, uh, you know, someone else kind of comes up and they're not the number one, they're the number three, they're usually going to reset the market. Uh, so the fact that he didn't, he ranked in seventh at current APY, uh, that's pretty crazy. Um, so it really shows that. And, and so, you know, that's where I, you know, there's maybe a little bit of trade-off, a little bit less APY for more, for that extra year term. It gives him an extra year of job security. Um, maybe he wants it uh, structured in a certain way and kind of gave that up. But nonetheless, um, it's a fantastic contract for the Ravens to land top guy, position of need, impact player. Um, it's, you know, a 26-year-old. He turns 26 this year. I think he's 25 right now. His birthday is before the season starts. Um, so it's, it's you know, you're getting a guy on his second contract, third contract if you count that he's coming off the franchise tag. Uh, he was a second-round pick out of the University of Utah. Um, he played last year on the franchise tag, so third contract, second contract, however you want to look at it. Uh, but, Dan, give us kind of an overview of what this all means. What's our effective cap space now? Yeah, so taking a look at, at where that kind of sets us up uh, for the cap. Um, if you look on the left side, it was it shows kind of where we stood before this. Um, you know, we've got about fifteen point six million dollars in in cap uh, remaining, which was you know we've got the the two hundred five million dollars of updated uh, two thousand twenty two salary cap for the Ravens. So it's a little bit below the the kind of the twenty twenty two base salary cap because of incentives from last year that, that the Ravens earned. So it kind of, if you make, make the incentive last year, you have to uh, reflect that cost this year. Then you reflect the top 51 salary cap. 
which is about 82 million. Then you've got $7 million in dead money, mostly uh, from the recent cuts. Um, and then you that that left a to that leaves a total of 189 million dollars in kind of the liabilities or the costs, which which gives us 15.6 million dollars in cap. Then we've got 10 rookies to sign, uh, which is about 12 million dollars. You offset those with the 10 uh, people that come off the bottom 10 that come off of the top 51, so that's 8 million dollars. So only it kind of ended. At the end of it this morning, they had about um, kind of 11.6 when you kind of reflect the rookies coming. Um, then on the right, we kind of show, uh, you know, what, um, you know, what it looks like after the signing. So with for this one, I kind of took the midpoint between the two scenarios and it was a $6 million cap hit. Uh, we also get to reflect one more person removing. So in, you reduce the cap by six million, but then you also get to gain back about eight hundred thousand uh, dollars from the kind of removing the bottom person on the on the top fifty one. So you end up with a, a cap remaining of, of about six point five million dollars. So you know there there is some money left still, and that's without making any real moves to kind of gain more. So right, and we'll see kind of what that can look like. And uh, you know we talked about it in our salary cap preview show from last Friday. Uh, one of the most obvious ones being a restructure of Marlon Humphrey. Uh, it's just one of the, they have, uh, let, let's uh, let's jump right to that quick. Cause yeah. this is, this is a number of cap moves the Ravens can make uh, to free up money. So you can see, uh, you know, five restructures on here that can create significant money. Uh, so, you know, they may be sitting right now at six mil effective cap space. All they have to do is kind of hit some of these restructure levers um, to, to, free up that cap and then that increases the effective cap. So I guess the big question that I would have is, you know, what do you see as likely to happen and what's our grand total that we could kind of create here in restructures? Oh, it's, so I definitely think um, they will restructure Humphrey. Uh, I think it's likely that they'll restructure Stanley since his 2022 uh, cap is already guaranteed. So there's not really an increase to kind of lock in any more of his payment. Uh, that one may that one may not be as as for sure due to the injury risk, um, and then the other three on the bottom, Zeitler, Andrews, and Boyle, they can definitely do those, but they'll probably wait until they need them. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they wait until they need all of the them, um, you know, before they actually trigger them. Um, you know, it's there's there's not much of a big difference between whether they do them or don't do them as long as they're reflecting that they can do them in their decisions so right. uh you know that's what seven thirteen plus another Five. six so 19 plus yeah. that six before so you know about 25 million dollars um in, in cap you know there you do need maybe five ten for in-service things or in in-season things um but that that gives you uh you know a, a good uh, 15 million or so uh, of spending. So, and we saw that you know you can get a 14 million APY for six million. So it's it's not just you. It's not just 15 million APY. It's 15 million cap. So it depends what what length and structure and all sorts of things like that. But they can probably get two de two decent name big name uh, guys. I would say. Yeah, and that's kind of and, – and then there's some other moves, like you can see here, like just by cutting Powers and Boykin, uh, who are kind of on the bubble right now, so to speak, um, that could be your in-season. So there's also – there's some triggers they can do right now to incre increase that uh, salary cap space, and there's some that they're going to have moving into the season. Um, you know, the elephant in the room is the Lamar Jackson extension, which could create between five and 15 million if it were to get done. Doesn't sound like we're trending in that direction, but it just really does show how much they could create. Um, and then they can also get a little bit creative with uh, the contract structures, like what we learned with Marcus Williams' uh, potential contract. Um, and for those of you just joining us, we have Dan Reese and James Ogden joining us. Hit that like button, hit subscribe if you guys are new here. Uh, so that kind of gives us a picture of the salary cap. This is what it just looks like um, if they just restructure Marlon Humphrey, which I think we all think is a guarantee. Uh, so they'd be looking at $13 million in effective cap space. You factor in five or six they'll take into the season, um, plus all those other things they can do in a restructure basis uh, to create more cap space. So you can, you know, nicely see that the Ravens are sitting in a pretty good spot um, uh, with regards to the salary cap. And then, uh, 
you know, I, I think you have to be pretty excited about that going into this. Um, you know, we're going to get into it a little bit later, you know, some of the next steps, what they could do from here. Uh, but now I got to kick it to my guy, James. He's been sitting there for 20 minutes. He's being patient. We love it. Uh, so let, let's get into the film because I know uh, you've had a chance to kind of dive into it. I watched two games while I was supposed to be working today, praying to God my boss isn't watching right now. He'll give me the old switch. Um, before we jump into it, you know, one of the things I want to throw out there really quickly uh, that's really nice about a Marcus Williams signing is – he is he's played in 76 of 81 possible games in his five-year career good health good durability um he's not coming in with any injury concerns anything that you need to be worried about uh, a couple games here and there i think last year was his lowest games played with 14 out of the 17. um and one thing i wanted to highlight because it was kind of thrown out there on the timeline i just wanted to kind of clarify uh in terms of where he's going to be best used and we're going to get into that with james more in depth but uh, I love to look at snap count alignments for as much crap as people give pro football focus. They are one of the best at charting snap alignments, and I genuinely respect that. They do a great job. Uh, so if you guys look at it, in 2021, he had 1,040 snaps. 922 came as a free safety alignment. 21 in the slot, 87 in the box. 2020, 1,005 total snaps. 837 as a free safety, 37 in the slot. 120 in the box in 2019. 1,049 snaps, 854 at free safety, 42 in the slot, 123 in the box. As we're going to find out here, he's a free safety. Um, and he's he's really thrived in that kind of center field, you know, 15 to 25 yards off the line of scrimmage roll. Um, so, you know, James, let, let's get into it. You know, what can you tell us about it? What did you see in your film watch? I mean, the the, the first thing you've got to say is is range, right? He, he's... You know his his range. The first thing you want to study when you study a safety, especially a safety like him, that's a true post safety. You, know, you want to study his range. What where can he get to? What what routes can he get to from what position on the field? Um, and you know the guy. So he ran, I think, a four five six forty. So he's got solid speed, but he's not. You know, he's not a burner, but he's explosive, and he he process processes processes i have to switch between english english and american english uh he processes the game at such a high rate that he is able to maximize his range so his play speed is off the charts because he has solid speed and then he 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 brings it up with that technique with the explosion and, and with that with that processing and so you know he can get from the near hash to the sideline with no issues he can get from the uh, far hash to the numbers with no issues. And this is the kind of thing you want to measure. You want to be looking at what can, what part of the field can he get to from what part, what, from what starting point. And the guy has outstanding range. Um, and then when you add his ball skills onto that. So I think that I saw a thing today that he's the, one of the least type of stats is your thing. I think he's one of the least targeted defensive backs um, in the league. 18 and, targets in 2021. 18. And then when he is targeted, he is he by far and away gets his hand on the hands on the ball more than any other DB in the league. Um, like I think by at least a couple of percentage points above the nearest nearest guy. So he's a he's got ball skills. He may not have a ton of interceptions, but that's you know he makes plays and he makes he also makes plays in the red zone on third down. He makes plays when it counts. Um, and you can go back to his Utah tape and find, you know, he had 10 interceptions in his uh, sophomore and junior year. So the guy can, does have the skills to pick the ball off too. So he, he's a, you know, that those are to me are his best, best traits. And, and, and it's exciting. It, it really is. It's kind of the conversation that we had recently. Uh, we, as in, you know, not just you and I, but as the draft community about Kyle Hamilton, when he ran a four, five, four, 40 or whatever it was you watch his film that's not what you see and so uh the thing that popped out for me is uh you know it's not just how clean his footwork is it's just how nuanced it is every step has purpose and that's where uh you know i know you've learned this from your work at the scouting academy but they talk about play speed combining that athletic ability with your mental processing um, and it's why you'll see guys test really well and not play as well and then vice versa. And so, I mean, I say test really well, it's all relative. I mean, he's still got wheels on him, but relative to his peers, he's a little bit slower in his speed score, but he processes so well, he moves so well uh, with that processing that every step has purpose. And that's what, like, 
Ed Reed, Ed Reed, four, five, six, I think is what his 40 was. Um, did he play like four, five, six player? No, anybody? No, no, he didn't. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. And that's why, uh, you know, I think one thing that the scouting Academy has done so well is developing things like that, you know, things like functional strength versus just strength. Um, it, it, it does that a combining ability of what you're testing, what you're measuring, um, and what you actually see on film, how the player actually plays. Uh, so, you know, Marcus Williams may not be a burner, quote unquote burner, but really high level play speed, um, every step going in the, you know, the right direction, going with purpose. And I think that's why he, you know, he's one of those guys that they just don't want to tempt. Right. So he's, uh, you know, I think I saw something out there about his, his raw stats, you know, his, his PBUs are down. He's only had like five interceptions in the last two years. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's because no one throws the ball at him, which is a good thing. Um, and that's only going to help out the corners because if he's erasing the, the, the amount of things you can do as a corner, the amount of cheating you can do, um, that's what Baltimore Ravens corners were blessed with for a decade with Ed Reed manning the middle of the field. And also, Cole, you know, the, the, the numbers that he's that he's got in terms of getting his hands on the ball are, are even more impressive when you watch him play, when you consider the way he plays for the Saints, which is he starts 15 yards off the line of scrimmage and he'll very quickly get off to 25, 30 yards away from the ball. Like it, it's hard to get your hands on the ball a lot when you're when you're that far away from from the line of scrimmage. You know, safeties, are, the best post safeties, the best center fielders like him, they're like the like secret services. You, you their failures are, are public and the successes are private. And he has quite a lot of public successes as well with the amount of times he gets his hands on the ball. But he's you know you don't see him for large parts of the game if you don't watch the old twenty two. And then you watch the old twenty two and you watch him play basically a chess match with Tom Brady, where Brady is like staring down Mike Evans on a seam route up the up the middle. And and Marcus Williams is determined to stay disciplined and not cut, like not bite on that seam route because he knows because he's seen Brady's eyes. He's perifed the receivers. He understands the route development and he sees a Chris Godwin wheel route coming open up the sideline. And he knows if he goes to Evans fully, Brady's going to go to Godwin and Brady hesitates and hesitates. And it gives the Saints pass rush the time to get home. That's the kind of things that you see when you when you watch him. I, I think he's. He's an extremely intelligent defender, and that that fits so well with the Ravens. It really does, and it's going to help those corners a lot, um, especially a guy like they're going to have a little bit of, let's call it fluidity at the slot corner position. You're going to have Brandon Stevens moving around a lot. Um, he's probably one of the, you know, the Ravens are winners in general, but Brandon Stevens is a huge winner with this signing. Um, I know on one hand it might be like, well, he just stole his, his position, but on the other hand, they can use him in so many different ways um, where I think he really thrived uh, as a rookie was, you know, showing that versatility. He, he doesn't need one position. And that's something that uh, our friend Michael Crawford at a Bukhari on Twitter threw out there in our group chat. And he just said, you know, look at how the safeties were used at Michigan under Mike McDonald. They had uh, Hawkins, uh, Dax Hill, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, number five. I always call him number five. I always forget his name. Benton Dalton. Can't think of it. Um, they, but he used that heavy three safety looks, but Dax Hill played so much as like a slot corner. So you kind of see Brandon Stevens in that role. You had uh, Hawkins in the box. That's kind of like the Chuck Clark role. And then you got Marcus Williams, uh, you know, whoever that guy is, I feel bad for him. number five on Michigan. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the deep, the deep center field role. So I think that's really an interesting dynamic to, you know, see the the, the versatile skill sets in those three guys. And then you go watch Michigan tape uh, and you kind of see the way Mike McDonald used three safeties. Um, and Dax Hill was basically used as a slot corner, but he has projectable traits as a safety and is probably going to be a safety in the National Football League. Um, and that's very similar to Brandon Stevens. So I, I think you can kind of see those parallels and that has to excite you in terms of how they could be used. Yeah, and the other thing um, I I wanted the other couple of things I wanted to talk about with um, with Marcus Williams is uh, two things that I've I always sometimes find a little bit difficult to to um, to kind of 
evaluate, which is mental toughness and physical toughness. And so the, the first one is one you see from Ravens, Ravens all the time is that physical toughness. There was a little bit of talk early in Marcus Williams career that he was a little bit, you know, he didn't quite have the, the physicality to, to come down and play the run. I can tell you that that isn't his game anymore. You know, you can see him come down and scythe Leonard Fournette down with a, you know, with a, with a, a shoulder to the thigh. He tackles through guys. It's great. But then his tackling. So one of the things that I think is really impressive about him, and I, I you know, I watch. A, I'm deep in the college guys at the moment, and occasionally I just come out to watch a, a few sort of NFL guys, which is a thing that uh, Mike Crawford um, does. And I think uh, I came out to watch a Marcus Willi- to watch a bit of Marcus Williams a couple of weeks ago, um, and remembered that I really liked him coming out of Utah. But then I also remembered the Minneapolis miracle. Which is the thing? Which is the play? He's probably if most. Someone famous. sends me that gift one more time. I'm I'm gonna just start flipping chairs. <laughs> but I think what's what's great about that is it shows like that's the ultimate mental toughness test. Like he he came back from that. That was in his rookie year, and he came back and became the kind of safety he is the kind of safety that Drew Brees says. Like I'm not sure where that. Sometimes he, the guys on the field, I'm not sure where he comes from, but he's there and he's got the ball. <laughs> Like he turned into that guy after having the worst possible sort of end to his rookie career. Uh, I just think that's that shows real strength of character and a guy that you a guy you want in the locker room. But it's also a it's a it's such an important trait for a safety for a defensive back because you're going to get beat. Uh, and he just shows that you know he can take the ultimate beat uh, and still come back from that. I love that. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a great point. And it's, uh, I actually, I, I guess I didn't realize I was all the way back in 2017. Uh, you know, up here in Canada, there's a lot of Bills fans. So they were hitting me because it was Diggs that caught that ball and now Buffalo did, you know, um, but, uh, you know, I don't also, I don't hate the play. Cole. The other thing is I didn't like, he got there early because of his yeah. instincts and because of his processing. So like he got there early. So you can, it kind of reminded me of the, the mile high miracle because it wasn't, I don't think people understood like were he more adjusting to that ball. I mean, Flacco threw that ball like 60 air yards. Like it was insane. Um, so, you know, if people are going to go on about it, that's fine. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a hell of a play by the offense. Uh, I credit them there. Just like I, I didn't drag Raheem more too much on that unless I was on uh unless I was on Broncos Twitter, then I'd do it. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the other thing that popped out there, I think uh, PFF charged them with 10 missed tackles this year. Um, tackling issues have never been persistent in his career. Uh, it's, you know, I only went through two games today. Is there anything you can tell us about his tackling? Any concerns there? Um, what do you got there? The only thing for me was I, I thought he, at, at times, underestimated. So the thing that the Scouting Academy will teach you is to try and look for, when you see inconsistencies in play, what what is the reason for that? What is the competition he's facing? What, what happens? And when I saw him miss a tackle, it was usually a bigger guy where he sort of, prepared himself to have to make a bigger hit on the guy and kind of underestimated the bigger guy's um, agility, lateral quickness. So he missed the tackle on Dawson Knox in the Bills game um, when he sort of, he went too, he set himself too far outside. You know, as a tackler, as a safety, you want to see him take the inside hip, but he set himself a bit too far outside and Dawson Knox just took what he was giving him and, and, and broke inside him. So just like that was the, the the only time I saw the tackling was an issue was that was then, which I think is probably him trying to account for the fact that he has a, a little bit less play strength. So he was trying to get himself into a position to make a tackle on a bigger guy. So that can happen occasionally. But this but the the thing the thing to remember, the stuff that you know, Jamar Chase streaking down the field against the Ravens. This guy against more athletic wide receivers, he takes great entry angles into the, uh, to, to play the run and to play receivers um, going after yards after the catch. But he also comes comes from high to low really well. He sets himself very well in the open field. The, the tackling issues I saw weren't open field tackle issues like the Ravens have had um, over the course of the last year. Okay, there it is. So, uh, you know, something to keep an eye on. No player is perfect, but not a persistent problem expected to carry on. Um, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, you kind of come away feeling we got a pretty elite center field safety, um, you know, at a very good price. Like we looked at seventh highest APY in the in the league. So, you know, that kind of shifts away from the film. So, we, you know, we've kind of looked at, okay, what's the cap situation now? 
what is uh, Marcus Williams going to bring the Ravens? And so I guess kind of wrap this up. And uh, guys, if you guys are in the comments, you guys have questions, drop them. We'll get to them uh, before we wrap up. But I, I guess it's kind of the the next question is like, where do we go from here? Uh, the Ravens have uh, quite a few, I think, more cap money at their disposal with the ability to restructure. Um, so it's like, what's the next fish to fry? Um, so let Dan, I'll kick it to you. Like kind of, what would you like to see in terms of next, next moves? Uh, well, you'll be happy to hear. I think, uh, they should go O-line. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't mind them getting, um, you know, a, a decent cornerback, uh, to, to support them. But as we've seen the, the cornerback market, especially for backups has been pretty soft. Um, so I think the, even, you know, Averett, they could get back relatively cheap. So I, I would love that just sneak that in there and not really impact their ability to sign bigger guys. Um, I think JC Treader, uh, I, I don't know much about his game, but, um, you know, being the head of the NFLPA, I believe, you know, that's a, a comment about what his peers think of him. And, uh, um, you know, so I, I think that kind of a player, goes a long way. So I think a, a center and, and maybe a tackle and uh, also would, would love to sneak in uh, Averitt if we can. And uh, a couple people dropped in the comments. It was announced that uh, uh, Eddie Goldman's coming to visit Baltimore on. So, I mean, that they need a nose tackle. Um, Eddie Goldman's a good one. Uh, all comes down to, you know, the price, but I think you're getting a pretty good player. Uh, nose tackle from the Chicago Bears. Uh, James, what about you? Where would kind of you shift your focus now? I mean, I'd definitely go offensive line, but let's let's. I'll, I'll give you guys guys that. I think uh, the other place I'd like to see uh, the Ravens address would be uh, some, just some like depth vets on the defensive line. I think I'd like to see you know like like we talked about Eddie Goldman. There's a few other guys out there, um, Akeem Hicks, and, and obviously Calais as well. Uh, I'd like to see a couple of vets on the defensive line if they can get if they can get those guys cheap. But you're not. I mean, the problem is Calais Campbell, Akeem Hicks. They're not going to come cheap, so it may preclude you from signing other guys. I just think the number one priority going into the draft it, it just has to be offensive line. It just it's the thing that provides you with the most flexibility going into the draft. It means you don't have you don't have to address a need. There obviously are needs on this team, but the glaring need currently is offensive tackle and. I also think the glaring need currently is center. Uh, I, I, I'm like you, Cole. I don't see Makari as best position at center. I see his best position as the sixth man or, or playing right tackle. Um, so I, I'd like to see, I'd like to probably see a center at some point. Yeah. And uh, my, my man in Graven Vids down in the comments. Good to see you, brother. Uh, nailed it. If they can get a center and a tackle before the draft, uh, you got to feel pretty good going in there. Um, so, you know, I think the JC Treader release is kind of a win-win for the Ravens because on one hand it gives them an option and, and JC Treader to be a possible uh, signee, but it also could lower that price tag of Bozeman a little bit more. Um, so, you know, if it's not JC Treader directly, it's going to be Bradley Bozeman cheaper indirectly because of JC Treader. So, uh, and I mean, tackles just keep getting released. Uh, Brian, Beloga, Belaga, Bologna, whatever you want to call him, uh, from, you know, an, another guy hitting, hitting the market. Uh, there was a lot of releases of guys that can be swing tackles, right tackles. Um, the guy that I've had my, my eye on really close is Cornelius Lucas, uh, from the Washington commanders. Um, what, what's going to happen here is, is going to be really interesting. I think one of the key is I need a guy that can play right tackle and left tackle, um, but if they can't, I need them to be able to at least play somewhere else on the line. So that's where, you know, a guy like Morgan Moses, if you kind of go back and look at his tape, he played, I think, three games at left tackle. It was 150 snaps, whether that's two or three games, uh, two years ago at left tackle. So if you kind of look at him and you see, okay, he, he could be my starting right tackle, but could also play left tackle if Stanley can't get right uh, by week one then, you know, let's rock. Trent Brown gives you that ability. Um, or you can go with a little bit of a cheaper bench swing tackle guy and, you know, Cornelius Lucas, Billy Turner. Um, the problem with those guys is do you want them starting 
for long periods of time? Is it going to be a McCary situation where they kind of get worn down and, you know, McCary can get you through at all five positions through, you know, get you through the rest of a game, probably stack a couple games. I mean, that's one thing about Patrick McCary. There's no one else on the Ravens roster that I'd bet on more in terms of his ability to go out there and battle his ass off. I mean, he's out there with little alligator T-Rex arms uh, and he doesn't care. He's just, he's a battler. Um, Whatever needs to be done for him to win reps, he'll find a way to do it. And that's just something he's done. It's just when you get into periods where he's starting game after game after game, it gets a little bit tough. And that's going to happen with all these swing tackles. Um, So, you know, with the cap situation where it is, I'm not sure if Trent Brown's going to be in the cards, but that's your kind of ideal situation because he fits perfectly in a gap scheme. Everyone dogged him on the Raiders. I don't think people realize the Raiders ran a zone scheme back then, uh, not a zone tackle. He's 6'8", 380. Um, you know, he's a mammoth. Uh, but Baltimore runs gap. He was a left tackle, Super Bowl winner in 2018 in a gap-based offense in New England. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what I see as the marquee signing. And I think on a two-year deal, based on what we looked at with their ability to create some more effective cap space through some of the restructures, I think you could get that done. And that may still leave you with a little bit to squeeze in some other moves. Um, if they want to go on the cheaper end, I think you're looking at, you know, that, 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 that group of swing tackles, a guy like Daryl Williams offers you that right tackle ability and can also compete at left guard, but is he going to be able to play left tackle for you? That's where it kind of gets tough for me. So it's like, you know, and they have the draft. It's just, it's about for me, I want to feel comfort going into the draft that I can go BPA pretty consistently. I don't have to reach for any position. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what sums up my feelings. Do you have any thoughts? Have you, have you gotten into any uh, Cornelius Lucas, Billy Turner, any of those? Have you come across them at all, James? No, not a lot. I know. Uh, no, no, not enough to speak on them. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. No worries. And that's, I was sitting there watching Cornelius Lucas tape last night. That's, that's where I'm at in the, uh, I mean, I forgot that there's a draft even coming. Uh, let's check out. Uh, let's check out some of the comments we have. Was watching highlights, but don't want to be fooled. Is he really like that? Yes, he is. Um, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the highlights. It, it do be like that. Um, Ravens Punch says, "What's the number you'd be willing to spend to keep Averett?" Um, you know, Dan, kind of explain the Levi Wallace contract and where you think that could put Averett's market. So Levi Wallace was signed by the Steelers for two years, $8 million. PFF had him at uh, a ranked 128 in their in their free agents, uh, the top 200. Averitt is not in the top 200 uh, for reference. Uh, I think Levi Wallace was projected to make, I, I don't recall, was it $7 million? Or I sent you over the numbers, but it was well higher than, than the – than the two for eight, um, and uh, so it's, it's a soft market for sure. They got a they got a great deal. Um, so if they're getting uh, Levi Wallace for two for eight, two two years for eight million dollars, I don't see Averett getting that. Um, if so, you know this maybe people see less of, of Wallace than they they did and, and more of Averett. But um, but PFF has been pretty darn good on on ranking uh free agents and, and costing their contracts so uh you know i i think the market's going to be pretty soft you know the draft is really strong for cornerbacks so people don't want to pay uh above the cost of a rookie c- contract for someone who's going to be comparable you know uh right you know for for a rookie and uh especially when you get the rookie for that price for four years so it, you'd have to be quite a bit better or you need the cost pretty close to where the rookies are. So, you know, if if I were going into it, I would look somewhere like two million dollars APY, maybe three, um, and probably like one or two years. I don't think Averett wants a long deal either. I don't think he wants to show that he can do it and get a better contract. So, so I could see something like one year, two and a half, something like that. And I think you'd be so like the number I threw out there before this Levi Wallace contract. And that's one of the things as these deals come out, it's going to kind of shift the market, um, which is exactly what you're explaining. And so the number I threw out there is like, they could probably give them like, I was expecting four APY. Um, so like a two year, eight mil deal cap hits at three and five. I thought that'd be, you know, decently team friendly. You're feeling pretty good. Um, he gives you some of that insurance, but if you can get even cheaper than that, uh, it's only up from there. So, I mean, 
you know, James, kind of from your your film watching, what did you think of Avery as a player um, and vis-a-vis his contract value? To me, he's a, you know he's a solid guy that I you, know, you can only you, you can't have enough corners, and he's a, he's a solid guy. I think the number and sorry, solid is kind of yeah, in scout academy language is kind of average, and I think he is slightly above that. I think he's slightly above that waterline. I, I just I just wonder whether you it, it it all comes down to the number. It all comes down to the number and where you're going to get him at, and if you can get him, you know, in that Levi Wallace bracket or a little bit less i think it, you you know you, you'll be happy with that and you'll probably take that you've got to think about this from the replacement player perspective and understand like the the level of play you're getting above a, a, a kind of replacement guy who would probably be below average so you you know you're kind of willing to pay just a little bit a little bit more to keep him i think it's a really interesting decision for him you know does he does he take a one year deal and 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 take a, a gamble that you know the ravens know him and marcus peters might not come back uh, kind of fully fully healthy and maybe he gets a bit of a go-round here another go-round and he plays better and and plays himself into a better contract in a year's time when there's a less good cornerback class um in the next next year's draft i don't know i i think it would be it, if we can get him at that kind of price then that that's probably a good deal and i'd do that yeah i think familiarity is going to be big for him so obviously baltimore being a familiar place but sneaky team is the giants who now have wink martindale who he played under uh for the last three years so or four years, whatever it is. Um, so I think that's, you know, I, th- I think we're in that region, two and a half to three and a half, four, uh, four on the higher end. Um, if you're, if you can get them in there for that, um, I think you're, I think you're sitting pretty good. Um, it also allows you to be a little bit matchup oriented. Um, if you want to get Marlon Humphrey in the slot and you don't want to put Brandon Stevens out on the boundary, cause that's not how you see him. It gives you that guy off the bench that can just step in and play outside corner. Um, would expect them in that scenario to also double dip in the draft. I think two corners being drafted is almost a lot. I'd be pretty shocked to see them draft three um, and kind of bring three rookies into camp to support those other guys. Um, Brent here has a great question. Uh, where does this leave our backup safeties like Washington, Jefferson, and Stone? Uh, seems like we don't have enough roster space to keep them all. It, it is interesting. Uh, I know... Tony Jefferson got tweeted at today and he said he's got to go into camp and earn his, earn his roster spot. Uh, so we always love seeing the fire uh, from, from Tony. Uh, I don't think his roster spots guaranteed by any means, um, but kind of the way I see it. And, you know, I don't want to get married to this idea, but I, it's stuck in my head from watching David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson. So, you know, I watched so much of Mike McDonald's defense recently, that three safety usage, his ability to use three safeties with Stevens as kind of a, you know, uh, sorry, with Dax Hill as kind of the slot corner uh, flexible role, you kind of see Stevens, uh, uh, Williams, and Clark as those three guys. And then so the backups to those three guys would kind of be like Stone being the backup to Williams, Jefferson being the backup to Clark, and Adarius Washington being the backup to Stevens. So, you know, don't want to get too married to that idea. I think that's where you'd kind of look at our Darius Washington and Brandon Stevens as dbs versus you know true safeties because they're going to factor into that slot cornerback picture um so it's all going to be how the total db numbers play out and i think a guy like washington being flexible gives him or or not flexible versatile kind of gives him that leg up to grab a roster spot as a quote-unquote db versus just a safety or just a slot corner uh you know do you guys have any any opinions on that from what we saw and obviously a very limited sample but what we've kind of seen from those guys i i i'm with you Cole. i think that's exactly the kind of thought process that you would go through for for those safeties that you know the way you've outlined it with the three the other thing i i, I feel is that um this is a great this is a great thing for Geno Stone because this is the like this is a type of guy. Who, Geno Stone was a was a lot slower than Marcus Williams um, was in his four yard dash, but Geno Stone is a is the same kind of guy in terms of gets off his spot quickly. Um, play speed is is imp- is improved by his by his processing. So I feel like this is a really good really good thing for Geno Stone's development um, to, to see Marcus Williams and how he plays the game. Um, and you can tell just from Williams' tape that he is a you know is a tape head he's in he's he's watching tape all the time because he can you know he's off his spot before quarterbacks have even decided to throw the ball so he knows what's coming so i do think this is a really good move for for geno stone from that perspective 
Agreed. Agreed. No, that's yep. that's really well said. One thing I want to throw out there, Cole, is looking at the last three years, uh, there have been uh, right around 10 to 11 DBs on the roster of the 53-man roster. So right now you've got six safeties, uh, the, the two cornerbacks for sure. So that's eight. So we've got three more spots, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, we were talking about it with a, f- a couple of folks on Twitter, you know, maybe Averitt and then two two draft picks and, and that'd be great. Um, so that, that would really kind of wrap up the group. Yeah, they kind of got the practice squad set with uh, the guys that they brought back on Futures. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure Kayvon Seymour is playing too much uh, into that. The only, the only thing Robert Jackson has going for him is he has the same name as my dad. So I got a soft spot for him. Uh, so, uh, do you think there's any chance with Amon Marshall, or do you think he's just never been on the field? I just like goes? that guy's a bigger wild card than, than James and Stanley. Like, you know, he's kind of the, you know, I'd love to see, I love this potential coming out, the, the big body press corner. Um, would have loved to see him get to actually rep behind Jimmy Smith uh, and actually play. It's just like, you know, it's like Groundhog Day with with that yearly camp, and I feel so bad for the guy. I hope he gets a shot. Um, it's just one of those guys you're not going to plan for him. There's going to be injuries. There's always DB injuries in camp. Uh, but bring him in, let him compete. That's why, like, when people are like, "Oh, just cut him, save the mill," it's like, nah, it's that's not enough of a savings to not bank on. I mean, you've kept him around this long, you might as well give him a shot to actually get out on the field. This is his last chance, right? He's 2019 draft class. Um, you know, this is pretty much it for him. So, uh, I'd, I'd love to see him kind of get out there and I think he'd offer, um, a nice little outside skill set. um, you know, would really kind of build that depth if it's kind of, if they do bring back an Anthony Averitt and your backups uh, as your boundary corners are Averitt and Biggie Marshall, you got two very first, you know, different skill sets that you can deploy, uh, in depth roles. So, you know, that's good. You know, James, what do you got on, what do you got on Biggie? <laughs> uh, same same i it's just i was really excited too about him coming in and so it, it is just a weird kind of yeah i i don't know i you can't bank you can't count on him i feel like westry kind of overtook him in the kind of long corner ranks as well so it feels like and there's also a bunch of guys in this draft that are long um and will be intriguing to the Ravens. You know, DaCosta said it in the um, in the Combine press conference, you, you can get a corner at every point throughout this draft. So uh, I feel like he's probably not long for the Ravens. I'll never be more upset than when they picked Biggie Marshall over Ugo Amadi, who ended up going to Seattle. I just ha- I had him banked as like that slot corner backup that could also be a punt returner. Uh, he ended up in Seattle. That Cole, one killed Cole. me. That's not true because you know Mason above Stone Forsyth was definitely, was definitely <laughs> that one man. I was screaming, I was screaming. Uh, you know, well, hey, if they don't sign Pat Ricard, Ben Mason's probably looking at a future all pro selection as a fullback. <laughs> uh, so again, if you guys have any questions, uh, drop them in below. Be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you guys are new. Uh, I got a question for you guys. Yeah. Uh, I'll sneak it in here while we're waiting for more. Um, I, I assume that Marcus Williams plays way too far off the line to previously have the green dot, but uh, is that fair? And, you know, Chuck Clark will still uh, have it and he'll be mostly kind of closer to line of scrimmage and, and kind of can game manage there. I would, I would think so, Dan. I think um, he, he plays a long way off and it's not like it's something that was just, I mean, it is, it is part of the, the way the Saints play defense, but it is also something you see him, do, you see, saw him do at Utah. It's kind of his thing There, there is a thing for safeties that if you're going to start, if you're, if you are a great processor and you're explosive, you probably actually want a longer, like you actually want to be further off the line of scrimmage because your strength is your break on the ball. So it's okay. Like it's okay to be further off. So he will, even though it's not necessarily as much the Ravens style, he, he will do, he will do that just because that's the way he plays and he'll be asked to do other stuff as well. But I think you're right. I think Chuck Clark probably keeps the green dot just because he will stay on the field as well in, in nickel packages. So I think that's, that's probably going to be right. But the one thing, just one thing to say on Marcus Williams, like he, he is a leader. He will like, you see him, demonstratively pointing and and directing traffic and directing guys around he takes responsibility you can see numerous times there's blown coverages by the saints and he's panicking and then he sprints out and covers a guy on the like covers a receiver on the edge man to man uh, because nobody was on him so the guy is a leader on the back end and i think that he will bring that to it he's a quieter guy like he's a 
um, I think there's a thing about him. I don't want to say this because people will think he's he's a John Harbour Boy Scout, but he, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't like cursing. And uh, his nickname at, um, at Utah was Duck Boy because he used to say "What the duck." Um, instead of <laughs> uh, and apparently they had a they had a blitz and i might mess this up but i think they had a blitz that was called ass kill zero and he it, ch it changed while he was there to butt kill zero <laughs> so he's he's uh he's a he's a quieter guy but i do think he's quite a leader and you can see it from the saints coming out on twitter and um you know you really congratulated him he looks like he's a he's a guy good guy for the locker room well, there are now the people that were being negative about a signing that got quieted are now going to be able to latch on to that we signed a John Herbach choir, choir boy. Um, not not enough drama in uh, in Marcus Williams for them. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I think that's a great point. I, I definitely think Clark will keep it, just kind of continuity factors in there too. But, uh, yeah, Ra Raven's Punch, he's, he's hashtag team clean, keep it clean. We love that. <laughs> um we just got another question coming. Any chance we enter the draft with all 10 picks or is a trade on the horizon? Um, it's a good question. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the wild card is they they do have those picks at their disposal. Um, as they add players, you kind of like Dan went over it in pretty good detail uh, when we did our preview. Um, now they've filled the safety void. Um, they just don't have a whole lot of needs if they add a couple of these guys. So a trade is one of those avenues, um, you know, Lael Collins was kind of out there as, as a possibility. Uh, very weird situation. I'm not, it's just been really hard for me to kind of wrap my head around uh, outside of a post June 1st, uh, which Dan filled me in. Uh, that's, that's a thing they can, they can release him with a post June 1st designation and save that cap space. Um, but, you know, no one seems to want to trade him for a very, we'll call it friendly kind of, contract structure for the team that trades for him. Uh, I think he'd check a lot of boxes for them, but no one seems to be biting. So it kind of makes me wonder what's going on there. Is there something we don't know about uh, off the field issues? There was that, you know, the drug test thing where he was suspended for uh failure to basically produce a drug test. Um, so, you know, he's one of those guys though, where you could trade for him and he's plug and play. We just saw a guy like Shaq Mason get traded to the Bucks. I'm assuming because Tom Brady still has dirt on Robert Kraft and just kind of is able to pull these trades off whenever he wants. Uh, for a fifth round pick, that trade made no sense to me. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys. You know, Brandon Thorne put it out there. He's a top five right guard. Uh, very, very confusing. Uh, him beside Ryan Jensen, that's that's a lot of meanness on their interior. Um, but I, I'm I'm all for a trade. Um, I really I think uh, you know there's there's definitely some guys out there that would be interesting. It's just it's always you know. Who's in the business right now of trading away, you know, good players on good contracts? That, that's what you have to wonder. But there's always the option, like we saw with a Marcus Peters, like we saw with a Clayus Campbell, um, where they trade and do an extension, that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's a little bit of buzz out there around James Bradbury, uh, cornerback from uh, Carolina. Uh, that's a lot of money to put into your secondary. Uh, Dan and I talked about this offline. So that would shock me because that's just like, that's a lot of money going into your secondary because you're you're taking on a 13 mil cap hit on one year if you trade for Bradbury. I'm assuming they'd extend him, even though they could theoretically fit him under after some cap maneuvering with the restructures. But you know, again, you're you'd be paying all three corners, both safeties, five guys getting paid. I think they'll kind of go cheaper with you know Stevens playing a big role and then a couple of rookies, maybe a cheap deal to Anthony Avert or a light corner. Um, you know, what do you guys think? Is there any trade options you can kind of think of off the top of your head? Um, I know Collins is kind of the easy one. Anyone else that kind of stands out or? I, I was going to ask Dan, does it, does the, the, the kind of the, the fact that the, the, I think one of the reasons I thought one of the reasons what that might preclude them from trading is the, is the inheriting the contract structure that actually, when they're signing free agents they're you know they're able to do what they've done with marcus williams and and get the first the the cap number down low obviously you could restructure guys and and re extend guys when you get them in but it feels like it's a little bit less of a like less of less flexibility with the trades or am i am i wrong with that well it, I, I would agree for trades that are for kind of second and third contracts um you would want those to be near the end so that you can restructure or basically redo the contract. Um, what you, what you, 
the ones you want to target are the ones that are on their third or like basically their third year of the rookie contract. Uh, so really cheap. Um, and, and, you know, you can say, look, you can restart the rookie contract sort of uh, clock. And, and that's kind of where I could see them doing or finding something is, is um, sneaking in a, a, a young, uh, you know, third to fourth year player uh, that fills the need, maybe a D line or something like that, that, that doesn't drastically impact their, um, their, their cap. So that, that'd be where I would look. And I, I don't know any names off the top of my head that would Darren, out. Darren Payne's kind of one of those guys that stands out from, from Washington. He's kind of buried in the, uh, in the fray. They may look to get an asset for him. Uh, I'm assuming it probably costs like a, I want to say a th- third i i'm not good with this stuff maybe a third maybe a second because he is pretty good um but he's just basically been hidden there but he's been very productive in a per capita basis um but that's kind of an interior that's he's, he's a name that intrigues me because i do think this interior defensive line class is shallow um it's kind of like if you look at the big board and after Federian mathens it's like got a bunch of nose stuffers couple guys like Haskell Garrett and uh, there's one of the kid can't think of his name, couple guys that you could work on developing, but in terms of impact pass rushers uh, on as an interior defensive lineman, it, it falls off really quick. Um, so I do think those guys could get overdrafted because teams don't want to wait until their pick comes around. Um, so, you know, I think Daron Payne could be one of those really interesting guys Um it's going to cost you a premium position. You're going to have to turn around and give him a contract, which could actually maybe lower his compensation. And there's also Washington may just not be in the business of, of trading him. We're not sure about that. Uh, but he's a name that kind of stands out there um, that I, that I think would be you know a possibility. Uh, and I think he's on he's on year three or year four of his rookie deal, so it kind of fits with what you're saying. You're not getting that extended cheap cheap years, but you're getting a cheap year, and then you'd have to worry about paying him moving forward so he's he's that kind of guy i think that could fit in this is an interesting question i'm kind of curious to get jordan's or jordan uh thinking of jordan davis uh to get james opinion because my opinion on jordan davis changed a little bit with the signing and i'll get into why i'll let you go first jordan davis at number 14 were you into that as an option before this signing and does this signing change your mind at all uh i've been into jordan davis as an option at 14 for for a since I studied his tape, which was pretty much, I think, back in January when I first studied his, studied his tape, um, the guy, the guys, you know, he's. I I don't like the kind of the the stuff about two down run stuff and that's all he is. Like, the, of course, he's not going to be on the field for every snap. No defensive lineman is for the Ravens. There is a rotation. So I, I don't worry too much about that. And like I've said before, I think like I think some of the the issues you found with his with his snap count was more when teams uh, like Tennessee and Alabama kept him on the field for the for the length of drives. They ran hurry up and at the end of drives he got a bit gassed. And if you're 340 pounds, you're gonna get a bit gassed at the end of a at the I end get gassed on 180 pounds. <laughs> I get gassed that a bit more than 180 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I don't, I don't really buy that that stuff. I think the the thing for me is he's a special run defender. He's also got real potential as a pass rusher. That he he has to be blocked by two guys. If you block him with one guy, it's over. Um, the play is over. So, you know, that is there's real advantages to having a guy who just has to be blocked by two guys. The, the, the caveat I would say is that as I've gone through my evaluations, I have found 14 players that I would take above yeah. Jordan Davis. And so that is like it has to be relative. And I do think that's what, what it will come down to is that he's just not quite at the point where I would take him when you're thinking about whole value and, and the full evaluations of the different players in this class. I'm almost tempted to take him because if he gets on the Chargers, it's going to be terrifying. Uh, and that that's the impact he can have, right? He's going to eat that interior. Um, he's going to be taking up space there. But they're also trying to adjust to Mac and uh, Bose on the edges. And, uh, you know, to, to that the whole – the biggest thing for me on Jordan Davis is I, I genuinely don't think he's just a one-tech. Uh, there's nothing really about his – you know, his traits and how I project them that tells me he's not athletic enough to, you know, if I, if I set him in the, in, in, in the B gap and tell him to just eat that gap, if it's third and long, 
they're going to have to slide their center or bring their tackle over and leave a tight end on my end. Uh, so his ability to, because when you're a one tech, you can use that center and then you can get that center off that block um, after kind of sustaining it. But if you have to slide your center over a full gap, you've left two guys on the backside against two guys. It just creates that bigger separation of, uh, you know, creating pass rush matchups for the rest of your defensive line. So that's really what I kind of see um, with him. I don't see him as just a one tech. He's going to do a ton of one tech. Don't get me wrong. Um, especially if he ended up on Baltimore, it's kind of like you sit him in the one tech, you got Mads in the three tech. Uh, you feel pretty good about what those two can do against the run. Uh, I think they're kind of an upgrade, uh, but I, I kind of land with you after going through seeing, especially some of these pass rushers, um, you know, that kind of, I call them the little bit of a group of three with Walker, uh, Jermaine Johnson and David Ajabo, uh, you know, the true ice cream analogy where three guys that I couldn't, it's kind of like, Ojabo's your speed rusher, Walker's your power rusher, and Jermaine Johnson's your balanced. If you guys like Madden and you're collecting your player archetype, uh, it's kind of that. It's literally that idea. They're that kind of compare and contrast to one another. Um, you know, Dan, what do you kind of think about Jordan Davis as a as a first round pick? Yeah, I think there are concerns um, about you know that position of whether it's a position of value. Uh, I do think the way it can benefit the other positions, you know, I think that makes it more valuable, like the, the ability to take those two blocks on. Um, but I, I do think that he would be more of a, you know, based off of all your discussions, he'd be more of an option uh, in a trade back uh, scenario. And, and uh, there are a couple of guys that would be really good fits at, for the Ravens, but maybe reaches at 14 and, um, and, and, you know, so I think, I think he might be one of those guys. And if they do a trade back and I'm sure we're going to get a question on that. So I'll just get my opinion out there. If they do a trade back, I'm okay with it. I don't think they need 11 draft picks, but it's just going to give you more ammo to do a trade up later. And I'm a big fan of that. I've been a big fan of the trade up from 45. I think they could really hunt down some big game. Uh, you know, a guy that slips out of the first round happens every single year. Um, you know, even trading up for a Daniel Falale, um, you know, you add him into this mix, you get that kind of, especially with so much uncertainty at tackle. So if you, your guys are healthy and he's developing, that's only going to help you just like we saw with Jordan Malena and in, uh, in Philly, who's, you know, very comparable to him as a guy newer to the sport of football. That's a crazy sized Australian uh, with a rugby background and just wants to hurt people. Um, you know, so that, that really intrigues me. And then, uh, you know, I think we'll kind of wrap up after this because we're getting a little bit off the topic, but you know, I'll put this out there because I always want to ask James when I have him, but day two, three edge rushers are good fits for the Ravens. Um, you know, James, anyone you've kind of put a marker on as a good fit in that kind of, well, let's say 70 to 140 range of the draft. So, yeah, so I'm not into, I'm not in day three yet. Uh, for anybody who's noticed, I'm putting out a uh, Ravens focused draft guide this year. Uh, and so I'm going like I've not got to the later guys because I'm going into so much depth with the with the 100, 120 guys that are going to be in the guide. So um, I'll give you like a couple of names and maybe they are more day two. I think one of these guys is pro actually might end up being a first round pick. So maybe I'm cheating a little bit. But I, I saw the beatdown guys uh, talked about him recently as well, actually, is um, Arnold Ebiketti from from Penn State a really great fit for the Ravens like I think he's I think he's a guy who who will play best if you have him in a in a two-gap scheme where he can stay patient you know he's another he's another Penn State edge rusher like Owe where you know that he's been coached to be patient and to um and to not get off the ball at this at the same rate that he that he can because of his of his explosion but I do think he's a he's a guy you can get the field early because of the the kind of the way he plays against the run uh he's just like not quite the same level of athletic as 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 away but is a guy that that I think could be a really good fit. And then the other guy that I'm really intrigued by, and I put, I think I put the, my report out about him recently, is Alex Wright out of UAB. Um, he's just a really toolsy guy. Um, just hasn't quite yet worked out how to 
um, take advantage of his length. You know, he's six foot six, I think, and and has doesn't have the ma massive arms. Actually, it's, it was a surprise his measurement at the combine, but he hasn't quite learned to take advantage of his height yet. Um, so I think he would be an intriguing guy. He's got the raw tools, um, just hasn't got any kind of rush plan yet as a pass rusher. But he's got you know the the tools that you'd, you'd look for, and he's a physical tough run defender too. So I, I'd really like him as well as a, a kind of day two guy that you that you think about. Almost like the poor man's Trayvon Walker. Um, a little bit. Know, mm. That that's kind of where I. So I haven't gotten deep into into right, but you know, based on what I have seen, that's uh, and two guys that I throw out there. Uh, Amari Barno from Virginia Tech uh, is interesting to me in that Sam role, kind of bringing in the Tybo type skill set. Um, maybe redundant. It really depends on what you say in Dalen Hayes. I actually think Dalen Hayes is a better rusher than he was getting credit for. Um, I don't see him as just a Sam. I think he can, you know, get his hand in the dirt and rush. Um, so if they want to get kind of that athletic chess piece, uh, stand up, uh, you know, Sam linebacker, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him, Barno from Virginia Tech could be that kind of guy. And then in the spirit of poor man's uh, later round guy, I throw Dominique Robinson out there as a poor man's David Ajabo as a really raw, uh, newer to the position, not new to football. Uh, the way Ojabo is, but uh, he's newer to the position. He switched from wide receiver last year, which is one of the more interesting switches I think I've ever seen, you know, going from a wide receiver to an edge rusher. Uh, but he came in at a good size. He tested really well. Um, he has good bursts. He's just learning to play the position. So you're going to get him later, uh, but you can kind of, and wagon to guys that Dame Brugler hitches his wagon to. He's one of Dame Brugler's guys. So that's always going to get a little bit of a bump. Um, and yeah, someone just asked about Boy Mafe. I don't know about anyone else. I'm lower on Boy Mafe than others. Um, you know, I, I'll let I'll let James talk after here to kind of give his opinion. I, I watched him in a couple games. Uh, it, his game against uh, Ohio State actually kind of made me like uh, their left tackle. What's his name? Uh, Petit Frere actually made me like Petit Frere more. I, I thought he had a really hard time getting much going against him. Uh, Petit Frere has guard feet, which was really weird. I thought he would actually really struggle against the speed rusher. Um, my opinion is I actually think he's getting a little overrated. Um, you know, James, what do you kind of think about Mafe? Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's all potential. Uh, I think the reason he did, I think the reason Petit Frere had a better time was okay with him was because he doesn't, like, I just don't think he's got a plan yet, Mafe. Um, so I think that's why Petit Frere was okay with him. Um, and that that is what you saw with, with Mafe. But I think he's, you know, he's twitchy, he's bendy. Like, I think he's all potential. I think he's a disciplined edge setter, but I don't think he's squeezed his gap yet. So I do think, you know, he gets into you first, but there's just not that, he doesn't really leverage his gap. So I think he needs to add some core strength. I think there's lots of development there. But I think the thing that was was most intriguing to me was the thing the Ravens look for a lot now is growth, is growth on tape. And I definitely saw that out of him. And then you definitely saw that at the senior bowl when he got some pro coaching. You saw even more, like you saw him take another step and he looked really impressive at the senior bowl so i really really like mafe and i i kind of i i think it's potato it's a potential like he's all potential uh the thing i would like to see out of him is him do some linebacker drills uh because i actually wonder whether he could um convert into a kind of hybrid kind of sam type like he's never going to be tyus bowser but i think you could get him dropping a little bit more than he did at minnesota which was which was pretty rare yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I'm actually going to go out here and I'm going to cut us off because if we get going draft talk here, James is going to fall asleep on stream. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, we, even, We're we playing it with the advantage of the time change right now, but it's still late for him. So we're going to cut it off here. I just want to take a second and thank both of you for coming on. Uh, you know, I know everybody in the comments really appreciates, uh, you know, getting your knowledge, your expertise. Uh, you know, this channel was all about kind of bringing together different disciplines. We get the cap guru, we get the film guru, we put it together uh, to show you what Marcus Williams can do for you and what we could look at uh, going forward. So that's all I have for you guys today. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other. Peace out, everyone.